Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Amen, 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 amen. We're continuing our new message series, The Go of the Gospel. We uh, say hello to, we have a bunch of people online today because we got a bunch of folks who are out sick. And uh, we just declare, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just stretch your faith with me if you would towards the, towards the cameras. Father, we declare healing over every family that's out sick today in the name of Jesus. We declare healing over their bodies. We declare peace over their souls. We declare prosperity over their lives, Father, that you would be made famous that you would be glorified in their healing in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. You can turn your Bible to Acts chapter 1. I'll be there in one second. Hallelujah. 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 uh, We we talked last week about um, the liberation of Jesus and uh, getting free. I talked last week about deliverance. We had so many testimonies of deliverance come in last week. And uh, the enemy's been working a little bit of overtime trying to get back at some folks. But he's not going to win. Amen? The enemy is defeated. Amen? And the devil is a liar. God is a healer. And what he does is perfect. Amen? I have been, uh, I've been having uh, fantastical times with the Lord recently. And the Lord is alive, and He's speaking, and He's moving in our midst, and He's doing uh, just amazing things among us. And uh, we, we live in that, we live in that, keep playing, keep playing, keep doing it. We live in that, that, uh, that, that space in between, in between uh, uh, God's promises and, and God's fulfillment. We live in that place in between the now and not yet. We live in between. We're people of faith that we have our hope in something that we see in our heart, but we don't yet see with our eyeballs. But since we've seen it with the eyes of faith, we know that it's true, and we will receive it if we continue to have faith that God will deliver. You say amen? This is who we are as Christians. We're inheriting a kingdom we don't yet see. And we have faith in that kingdom. We have faith in the king of that kingdom. We have faith that it is coming and that God's promises are true. As we've been talking in this church, we talked about uh, the encounter with God and what happens when we come into a dynamic encounter with God and the many manifestations that result in the encounter with God. And then we talked about spiritual formation. How do we allow the Spirit of God to transform us that we will look like Jesus. And now we're talking about what happens in the midst and as a result of that transformation. I have a word of encouragement for you. I have a word of encouragement for this house. Um, Many times if you're called to start a business, start a ministry, uh, maybe God has told you something is coming and you begin to see the exact opposite begin to happen. Has that ever happened to you? You think you're going to start something that's going to take off and everything starts to nosedive. Has that ever happened? The very, the very like, like, like God lays something out for you and then all of a sudden, like you, you thought that the word was the graduation, but the word was just the enrollment. If God tells you you're going to be a doctor, praise the Lord. He doesn't make you a doctor the next day. Amen. You start to go to school and life gets worse. And then you finish college and you're so happy, but now you go to medical school and life gets even more worse. Right? And then you go into residency, life gets even worse. But then there is, then there is the time you actually become a full-fledged doctor and you have come through the trial and into the promise. And then you're actually fulfilling the thing that God has called you to. And so we don't despise the day of small beginning. We lay hold of the promise of God in our lives. Amen. 
So when we go through deliverance, sometimes we feel like deliverance will bring us into the promised land, but deliverance brings us into a place that we can now learn how to live in the promised land. Come on, yeah, yeah, one class, we all clap, come on. People go into rehab thinking, you know, my life is going to get better, but how many people know you get into rehab, your next step is detox? And after detox, you start learning what all the addiction did. Then after you figured all the addiction did, then you start working on trying to fix some of that stuff so you can begin to live a healthy life. And so when the Lord delivers you of the cancer or the curse, the healing can now begin. But when God heals you, it's healthier than it was before you got the cancer. Because you went through the trial, it built something in you that you would not have had it just been given to you. I I wish you could catch a hold of this right now spiritually. Because God is actually doing something in people in this house that is going to be able to stand the test of time, withstand the winds and the seas, and withstand the trials. But I need you to lean in today and grab hold of this word by faith. There's been a great deal of warfare that's been happening over this message series. And I I know uh, the Lord told us to start with deliverance for a reason. That's because the enemy does not want to see a house established in this part of the world that says, I will live with radical laying down of my life, radical cultural um, uh, 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 transformation. I will live a countercultural formation. I will live in a way that does not look like the mammon that runs South Florida. There's war in the heavens over what God is establishing right here in our midst. Amen. And God has drafted you into this army of seeing this move begin to take hold in, in South Florida. And he's going to use you as an agent of change. Let's look at the Word of God in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to read out of the NIV today. So if you have a New American Standard, it's going to sound a little different, but it all means the same thing. It's just a little less clunky in the NIV where I want to go. So let's read this together. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he being Jesus... Uh, he gave them this, what's that next word? We're going we're gonna to be interactive today because I need to live my life with people. I, I need to be living with people. So we're going we're gonna to talk together. We're having conversations today. He gave them this. Now, does that sound like a suggestion? It's a command. This is, this is what Jesus commanded the disciples to do. He gave them this. Okay, well, we're going to get this. I feel like, I feel it. You know, I know. I know we're going to be able to do this. I feel it, Tracy. I feel it. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this. Do not leave Jerusalem. You ever give your kids an order, and then you come home, and they did the exact thing you told them not to do? And you're like, I made this very clear. I said, do not do this. They say, yeah, but. You're like, yeah, but does not cancel out what I done told you. Have you ever had employees that you give very explicit instructions to and they wind up doing the very thing you told them not to do? And they're like, well, I just thought, I was like, you didn't need to think. I already gave you instructions. I eliminated your need to think. All you need to do is do what I told you to do. That's all you had to do. I don't, I'm not sure what's complicated about this. In pastoral counseling, I, I'm, 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 I'm loving meeting one-on-one with people. I've always loved it. I love it. And I say, what did God tell you to do? And they say, he said this. I said, did you do it? Well, I started. Uh Uh-huh. And what's the problem now? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Did you do what he already told you to do? No. Let's start with that. Let's start with what the Lord said. It's almost like, here's what I want you to do. I want to, we're going to do an interactive thing right now. Are you ready? We're going to do like a, um, it's not going to be guided meditation. It's not going to be like um, some new age thing. It's not going to be, but but we're going to do a little exercise, right? You might do it in acting classes. You might do it in therapy. I don't know. We're doing, we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to do an exercise. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to close our eyes or open. You can leave them open. I'm not going to throw anything at you, but I want to play, I want to play a game. I want to, I want to play an imagination game if it were. All right, are you ready? We're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to maybe like put aside what you know and what you understand and let's for a moment let's act like like Jesus 
let's just pretend for a second, right? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, the Trinity, let's pretend for a second in our minds that they're actually God. And what they say matters. And when they tell us to do something, it's like God is telling us to do something. I know it's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe. And then we're going to stretch our faith a little bit and believe that the Word of God is actually the Word of God. All right, we're going to, we're just going to, we're going to, I know it's, it's countercultural. I get it. It's not popular today. You will not get a billion TikTok views by, by like doing this thing that we call orthodoxy. Believing that the Trinity is God and the Word of God is actually the Word of God, right? Like it's not all allegorical. It's not suggestion. It's not a philosophy among philosophies. I want you to just stretch your brain for a second and think, well, if God tells me something, it's probably important. Are, are, are you out on this limb with me? Are you out on this radical limb with me? And so Jesus, having his disciples, having discipled them for three years, he walked the earth with them, discipled them for three, three and a half years. He was murdered and was buried. But Peter preached that this God, whom that they murdered, the Father chose to raise him from the dead, right? And so this resurrected Jesus Christ, right? The second person of the Trinity rose from the dead and was on the earth just a couple of weeks, not a long time at all. And he had some meals with them and we only have recorded a few instructions from him during that time. And in that time, that little brief period of instruction where he had to tell them the most important things not to forget is included these sentences. Now, if you have played this exercise with me that Jesus is actually God and that what God says is the creator of the universe giving instruction to his created beings, these sentences might be important. Amen? Are, are you with me on this? Have you traveled down this journey with me? All right. And so while he was with his disciples, he gave them this. Oh, Jesus, we were almost there too. I felt like we were almost, almost, almost. This God whom you murdered, Peter said, the Father raised him from the dead. And on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this. Yes, do not leave Jerusalem. Why? But wait for the gift of the Father had promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Then they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive. You see him circling back again. Listen, you didn't pay attention to the command I just gave you. You don't went off in other things. Uh, listen, don't touch the oven while I'm gone. Oh, okay, can, 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 can I have Johnny over? No, no, no. Listen, we're not talking about Johnny. We're talking about the oven and me having a house when I'm off work, right? Your daughter goes on her first date. You're like, that's wonderful. Be back at 8. Yeah, we're going to go get hamburger. 8 o'clock. Before the sun goes down, I want you back at the house, right? Like, listen, we're focusing on what's important here. Then he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will, will, not might. Not possibly. Not I think it might could happen. Come on, somebody. He said, but you will. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your word that you're going to bring life to us. And you would enliven it to our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Michael David. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. few weeks ago on Wednesday night, we began talking about the Trinity uh, in our Wednesday night study. <clears throat> and uh, uh, 
we have been diving deep into the revelation of Jesus. And uh, we talk about this triune Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it's tripped up some people in, uh, in, in Christianity today. It's tripped up some people theologically. Why? Because it's complicated. The Trinity is complicated. You fully know that you understand the Trinity when you get the fact that you don't understand the Trinity. The moment you realize you don't get it, you finally got it, right? It is a, it is a mystery. We have the three-in-one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they operate in a way that seems mysterious, but we can, cut, we can study their patterns. We may not fully know them, but we can see how they work, and they are the one God fully worthy of worship individually and collectively, but they do operate in one accord, accomplishing one mission. There is no confusion within the triune Godhead. There is no conflict within there. There is no struggle for attention. As a matter of fact, the three persons of the Trinity are constantly pointing to one another, exalting one another, directing praise to one another so that we can rightly fix our eyes on God. Amen? And so early in church history, if you would put up that first slide, Josh, there is this uh, graphic, this kind of drawing that was uh, used to depict the Trinity. Now, you might think there's some sort of New Age thing. It's not. It's not Celtic. It's uh, it's actually an early Christian drawing. What we see is the, the three points, but you see the three points are all interconnected, and there is one kind of movement in the middle, circular, you know, it's signifying that there is one in three, and it's hard to understand the Trinity, and I have found that I have very unfruitful conversations with believers who are trying to discern which part of the Trinity does what. Did I, did I hear the Spirit? Do I hear Jesus? Did I hear Father? And I help clarify that in saying, you heard God. It's less important which part of the Trinity has touched you. It's more important to understand that the one God exalted now and forever has been in contact with you. And we need to listen to what he says and follow his directions. And I came up with this little idea in my head on how to signify the Trinity. And every example of the Trinity is flawed because nothing is like God. And so there's all these different different models and modes and, 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 and ways that people describe the Trinity, but it's, they're all lacking because nothing equals God. And so the best I come up with is if you were standing facing away from me and I came and I touched you with three fingers, you would think three things touched you, but in fact one thing touched you three different ways. This is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and just kind of to help you, understand how we're moving within the Trinity, generally, scripturally speaking, secrecy is attributed to the Father. As as we read in the scriptures, when you hear about Jesus saying God or praying to God, it's almost always in reference to the Father. And the Father chose a people. The Father chooses the timing of things. The Father directs the movement and ministry of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7, we see this in the new, in the NIV. It says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? There's, this, there's these uh, mysteries that happen. There's these mysteries that, that, that happen. I've actually meant one seven there. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority. The Father sets times and dates by his own authority. And Jesus saying there's mystery in the Father. And just because you don't know something doesn't mean it's not true. <clears throat> I want you to really get this. I want this to get in your spirit. Because a lot of Christians now... There's people in this room even who believe God has spoken something to them, but they don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. Because the Father chooses to hold some things as mystery, so you stay connected to Him, not the promise. I think you might have missed that. You see, the Father is withholding some information because that's connecting you to the Father. If He were to release too much too early, you might run off with the promise, but not the promise keeper. And so the promise keeper is hiding sometimes the dates and times and methods of things so you stay connected to the one who brings them to pass. That's a good word, Pastor. I think that's really good. I thank you. That helps clear some things up. 
And so this mystery is attributed to the Father, but as we look at the Son, revelation or openness is attributed to the Son time and a time again in Scripture. Jesus was clearly visible to the disciples. He's visible to the earth. He walked here in flesh. He made known what was invisible. In times past, we read in the New Testament that they did not know clearly the Father's will, but the Father's will has been revealed in Jesus Christ. The Father's faith, face has been revealed in Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's plan of salvation, as we read through Hebrews, was revealed in Jesus Christ. It was a mystery, but the mystery that's been withheld from all the ages was revealed in Christ. And then we get clarification as attributed to Holy Spirit. Come on, this is a good word. So we see in John chapter 14, verse 26. I believe I got the right one here, Josh. 14, 26. I'll turn to it in my Bible here. Hold on a second. John 14, 26. I'm going to read the NASB. It says, He who does, 14, John 14, 26. Who does not love me does not keep my words. The words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And the Spirit clarifies these words spoken by Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not when Jesus came face to face, it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then the work of Jesus is clarified in your life, pointing to what the Father has revealed in Jesus about the plan of salvation from before the foundation of the world. Are you getting this? Is this making sense? Are are things starting to click in your head? It's important that we understand these things. There's this trinity moving, and and I'm teaching you this for a reason. There, there, there's, there's trends. My wife tells me, stop talking bad about the church. I'm not talking bad about the church. I just want the church to do better. Thank you. <clears throat> there's a trend in the church today that we just got to keep things stupid because people aren't that interested. So, but we get a bunch of Christians with bad theology don't actually bring forth the plan of God on the earth because they don't actually understand theology or how the nature of God works on the earth. If you don't understand who, I mean, the theology of God for most people is just terrible. They don't know who God is. They don't know what to believe God for. They're incapable of discerning what God is doing. And in this house, we are raising a spirit-filled people who understand the ways of God. So we can, comp, we can, we can come on, amen. So we can, we, can, we can cooperate with him in counter-cultural formation and see the kingdom of heaven on earth. We want to see the kingdom of our God on earth. But the kingdom of God does not look like the kingdom of men. So we have to know who the king is so we can cooperate with him in establishing his kingdom. It looks different than the power struggles of the world. It looks radically different than the power struggles of man. Jesus time and again rebuked his disciples because they kept wanting to use Rome's way of operating and getting the kingdom into power. And he kept rebuking them. And he said, you, have not, you do not know what spirit you are of. And I'm, I fear that Jesus would say something similar to the church today. You do not know what spirit you are of. You think using man's system is going to get my system To come to pass in the earth, it's not how it works. The ways of Jesus looks like the life of Jesus. Laying down your life for the will of the Father, trusting that God's plan will come to pass. You can trust God in your life. You can trust God in your life. He is a very good God. And so there is this cooperation. What I'm trying to teach you is among the Trinity, there is this cooperation. There's this interconnectedness. There is this there is this, 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 this movement. Pablo Picasso did a painting in how he envisioned this happening. If you would put that slide up, Josh. Uh, it's called the perichoresis. You can look up this painting. Pablo Picasso saw this movement of the Trinity and God inviting us into this. It's, it's, it's this Maximus the Confessor came up with this word, the perichoresis, and it, it describes the intimate sharing of life together in the numerically singular divine essence. The operations of God are inseparable. 
And what is our goal in life? Our goal in life is to understand this operation of God and get caught up in it. You see, God's desire is that we would be bound together by His love. Just like the Trinity is bound together by the love of God. In the beginning, God decided to invite you into that story. As we read the Bible, as we crack it open and we read the the story of creation, people think they've come up with something very clever when they see two creation stories in the Bible, but uh, it does not conflict at all. Because the stories are written to bring forth a point that everything comes from God. Hear me. The Scriptures are story pointing you towards the author. The Scriptures are a story pointing towards the Creator of heaven and earth. The Scriptures are a story of a God who so loved that He created man in His image and knew that man would come up short and invited Him back through the Son by the conviction of the Spirit into the love of the Father. All of the Scripture points toward this story, but we have to understand this book that talks about this story so we can understand the storyteller so we can get caught up in the story we're being invited into. You say amen. We call getting caught up into that story salvation. You invite, you, you receive the invitation and you show up to this wedding feast because you believe the one who is holding the feast is worthy to sit at the table with. And by the blood, shed blood of Jesus, he declares that you are worthy to sit at that table with him. It's a beautiful story. Are you getting this? It's so much better than dogmatic theology. It's so much better than rules and do's and don'ts. And so many people fall into a pattern of thinking that I have heard that God doesn't like this. So therefore, if you don't do this, God will love you. There's a phenomena on the, on the interwebs. Uh, it's called nice guys. Have you heard about this? There's the nice guys who think, uh, you know, women don't like them because women don't like, say it with me, nice guys. You got to be some sort of jerk to get women to like you. And so the nice guys think that they have followed the rules. Therefore, women should like them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is anybody? Can, yeah, yeah. Have you heard this women? Yeah. Have you, have you heard the nice guys? You're, oh, you don't like nice guys. And we put this theology on God. I've been a nice guy, so God should, 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 should love me. Like, it's nice guy theology. But there's another trend that happened after nice guys. It's called the incels. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? It's guys that are, feel so entitled to women because they've been a nice guy, they actually start becoming aggressive toward women because women aren't accepting them because women must be the terrible ones because I have met the requirements that women want. And so the only reason I am being rejected is because women are terrible people. This sounds crazy, right? Because the guy has not actually asked the woman what she wants. All they know is that she doesn't want him. Are you, are you following me? Are you getting this? And so what happens is the world and some of the church never actually met God. And they come up with some rules that they think God wants them to follow. And then if God doesn't do what they want them to do, God must be the mean one. Because God, like, I've qualified myself for God to do what I want him to do. And the only reason he hasn't done what I want him to do is because he must be a mean God. No, actually, because you haven't met him. If you met him, you would find you would get along just fine. Uh, and then you would be transformed by his love. And you wouldn't have to come up with your own rules anymore. He would actually implant them on your heart. Is, is this connecting with anybody right now? I feel like there's a pretty good illustration for what's happening in a lot of the world today. And so we got whole portions of the church are teaching people how to be nice guys. And then telling them what they should expect from God. And then when God doesn't do it, they start accusing them of deconstruction. Is this making sense? This is not how God works. God is not up there with a rule 
book and a checklist, making sure you're doing the right stuff. God is inviting you into relationship of love. And if you are invited into this relationship of love, then love compels you to behave differently than you did before you were in love. Love compels you to live in a way that fosters that love and increases it in the relationship. Amen? This, this, this is what God has invited us into. This, this, is, this, is, this is the power of the Holy Ghost. God has invited you into this story by the power of the Spirit so that you can love the way He loves and be invited into this uh, interwoven story of God and man in the earth that you can be an active participant in. God, when you get invited into this story, all kind of supernatural stuff starts to happen to your life. God begins to deliver people. God begins to heal people. God begins to move you into a place of victory. He begins to, hey, let you see the world with discernment so you can see that not everything looks like you thought it looked before you came into this relationship. Can you say amen? He's knitting this tapestry of breakthrough in your life as you come and enter into the triune God relationship. This is who God really is. And then God does something really supernatural. As you are come into the story of God, there is a story in your life that is being written. And your story of victory becomes a word of breakthrough for someone else. All of a sudden, your testimony is woven into the testimony of God, and your story of victory is a word of breakthrough for someone else. Just like as I preach to you Jesus Christ and his conquering of sin and death, as you begin to receive that story of breakthrough, the resurrection life of Jesus comes into your life. When you then tell people that story of resurrection breakthrough in your life, resurrection breakthrough comes forth into other people's life. This is the power of the Holy Ghost that comes upon your life that God entrusts into you. Says now that you're woven into the Trinity, the, the life of the Trinity and the breakthrough that you get is is. is is provision for someone else's breakthrough. Are you getting this? Come on, somebody. And you become an agent of the Holy Ghost in the world today. This is what you are called to. Many people live in South Florida trying to get rich or famous or just successful enough to feel comfortable. But none of those things will satisfy you because you were created for something greater. You were created for something greater. You were created to live the life of God. And I see in this house how God is moving through so many people. And I'm getting the testimony of God putting them in precarious situations where they have to trust the Word of God in their life. I find it as a pastor super encouraging when I talk with a lot of people who tell me, you know, I'm stuck in this place in between the the word and the promise. I'm like, that's awesome. Because God trusts you to be faithful. You don't have to be spoon-fed every week. You don't have to be told this week is what you're supposed to do. This week is like, like people, people, people get this romanticized notion of, of walking with God. <clears throat> when you don't know God... And then he comes into your life. There's this awesome, awesome revelation that I was away from God, but he was still moving in my life. There's like this awesome revelation that like, I was not loving him, but he was still loving me. Anybody experience that? Yeah. Like you were away and you're like, God, that whole time. You were still there interceding for me. You were still putting me on people's hearts. You were still moving in my life. And what you're not saying, but you're saying is, God loved me enough to stay with me even though I wasn't doing the right thing. He wasn't controlling me. He wasn't spanking me. He wasn't bringing sickness on me. He was just loving me. And then we come into Christ... And then we get mad about that same trait. Why aren't you telling me what to do? Why would you allow me decisions? Why, why, why would you leave me out there and not do it for me? 
God's like, that's funny because that's the very thing you were thankful for when you were in sin. But now that you're in me, you're mad about it. God's like, I don't, like, I want to live life together. I have, a, I, have a, I, have a, um, I have two kids whom I love. They're both in college. And uh, they are discovering the joy of group projects. Nobody ever celebrated group projects in college, right? And in school at all, because you know there's going to be one person who doesn't do their work, right? Right? And then, there, then, then there's generally someone who appoints themselves the group project manager. And nobody else appointed them the group project manager. Some of you are going to get married, and, you, and the person you marry thinks they're going to be the group project manager of the marriage. I got to tell my wife sometimes, you are not my mama. I can do things how I want to do them. Although I didn't listen to my mom, so that doesn't, that doesn't really apply as well. Um, uh, but I've had conversations with one of my kids recently. Uh, they're in a group project, and, 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 um, and somebody had appointed themselves group project manager. And, um, and just started telling them, do this, do this, do this. And they're like, I, um, I've been in college longer than you. I, I know, like, it's, um, okay, I'm, going, I'm just going to be real, all right? Don't be offended if you're a homeschooler, all right? Do not be offended. But it's like, you are not the homeschool mom here, right? Like, the, like just because you got homeschooled and your mama told you how to do every bit of the project, that's not who you are in this group. Uh, you're going to find out real fast you're not going to have friends if you will not trust people to do their part, right? Like, I do not... But then we complain to God that he's not the, 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 the group project mom in our lives. Like, I, I want to be able to do these things, and, and like, we want to assign a job to God. God, I will be in charge of all of this, but all this stuff I need you to be in charge of. You go ahead and you take care of this stuff, and I'll take care of all this stuff. And God's like, you are not the group project mama. That is not how this works. I will live my life however I want, and you will make me rich. And you will, will make me healthy, right? Like this is, that's your job, God, that you will work out all the problems that I make and I will live however I want to work. And God's like, um, you're not the group project mama. I'm, I'm, I'm actually the God. And um, if you walk with me, we'll just slowly work out these things together. This is how it will work. This is, this is, this, 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 uh, is this making sense? See, God actually has a story that he is writing on the earth. And it started way back at the beginning when the earth was without form and void. And he hovered over the waters by his spirit. His spirit hovered over chaos. And, and if you find your life in chaos right now, if you find your life in darkness right now, man, good news, the spirit is near. And he is ready to put chaos into order. He's ready to come in and flood and, and bless and, and he, is, he takes time and again in Scripture. He takes those things that are in darkness and out of darkness, God creates his plan. And sometimes he's got to get the blackboard or the whiteboard that's covered in your plans and he has to wipe the board. Like He's like, yep, that didn't work. Yep, that didn't work. Yep, that didn't work. It's got to be enough room on the blackboard of life for God to begin writing his plan. Like you'll give up the chalk for a minute and let him begin to write and just so you can follow the direction. Sometimes God has got to let your plan fall apart so he can come forth with his plan and dictate the story of God in your life. You say amen. Like you tried everything else and God is like, now if you're ready, I got a plan that we can try. Now often, Unfortunately, many of us find that plan when we are at the bottom of the barrel. Many people find that plan of God in a jail cell or in rehab or in the hospital or after a breakup or financial collapse. But it is God's desire that we would learn to live in a way that we are submitted to his plan, leaving room for his word and his direction in our lives. Can you say amen? Come on, if you're online, say amen, slap the like button, let us know that you are with us this morning. Amen. We miss the plan of God. We lose sight of it at times. We get so excited about the blessing that comes from following the plan 
that we start chasing after the blessing instead of sticking with the plan. Uh, so many of you and so many of us, God gives a little provision and we think that provision is bread when it was really seed. And we eat next harvest's harvest because we used it to make bread and eat it today. We get a little bit of blessing and we run after that little blessing and we give up the greater blessing God had for us in our life. We start going to church, we start getting right with God, things start going well, and we're like, all right, things are going well, and we lean into the things going well instead of staying connected to the church that God is using to bless our lives. Listen, God wants you to do better than just a little better. God wants exceedingly abundant beyond all you could ask or think to happen in your life. God's desire is that there would be an entire river of blessing moving through your life. It's His desire that you would be overflowing in your life so much that other people could come and drink from your well. He desires a river of living water to come out of your bellies. It's His desire that, the, that there would be fountains of joy found in you by God. That's his desire for your life. And so many of us just get a few drops and we're like, "Woo! I got blessed. And we focus on the blessing and we don't get the full, the fullness that God has for our lives. I know there's many in this room today. You say, man, I, if it weren't for God, I wouldn't have made it to today. If you were really honest, you would say, if it weren't for God, I wouldn't even be standing here today. If it weren't for God, I, wouldn't even, I would not even be in my right mind. I would not be gainfully employed. I, I could not come into what I'm doing right now. I went through this thing, and if it were not God, it would have killed me. If it was not God, I would not have enough hope to make it through. Come on, somebody. You, could, you would not have made it through that season. And we got to recognize that it is God that carried us through. When we thought that we could not make it, we made it. And it was a grace of God that carried us when we thought that we were at our wits end. We need to thank God. We need to, we need to praise him for those things. We need to keep those things in our mind. We got to be cognizant of the story that God is writing in our life, that it's only by God's grace that we still made it. We were on a path to hell, but God came and interrupted our lives and began to move in our lives and brought a new hope and a new faith and a new promise that we never could have come up with on our own. Can you say thank you to God for a second? Can you just give a clap offering to the Lord for five seconds and just thank him that he didn't give up on you when you gave up on yourself. When you thought that everybody had abandoned you, you still had life. Just thank him for a second. Hallelujah. 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 You couldn't do it alone. That's the story of God. We get a little wind and we forgot where it came from. We get a little headway and we're like, I got it from here, God. You know, though, you who have little kids and they love that phrase, no, I do it. No, I do it. You're like, just let me put the jacket on you. No, I do it. You're like, you don't know how to put on a jacket, though. No, I do it. And they got one arm upside down on their foot. Like, this is not how it works. No, I do it. Like, all right, we'll wait for you. Let me know when you're done. Let me know when you're done. That's God. Let me know when you're done. I'll be over. Let me know when you're done. You want that prosperity? No, I do it. All right. I, I got you. Keep running. No, I do it. I, we see where you do it gets. Like, we get that. God's looking down from heaven. Got a little naked, starving kid saying, no, I do it. He's like, cool. Cool. Let me know when you want some help. I'm, I'm right here. Let me know. Let me know when you want some help. No, I do it. No, I do. We need, we, need to, we, need to be, we need to recognize. We need to recognize where we are in these stories. And we, and we need to remember how God has carried us through. There, there, there's, there's, a, there's a time to sit in the prayer room and sing to Jesus. But, but, but it's also time to get out and be somebody. To get out and do the things God has told you to do. There's, it's time to, there, there's time to sit and, and, and soak in God's presence. But... But the disciples did that for a couple days and then spent the next 30 years changing the world. Trusting God to be with them. To actually affect the world for Jesus. We have to get to the place where we're no longer, no, I do it. But we listen to God, we receive His provision, and we boldly declare who we are as believers. Amen? Amen. 
I've been caught up in the story of Paul this week. Of course, we all know the story of Paul. We know what Paul did. We know who Paul was. Paul, of course, was a, was a radical, militant Jew. Paul was a bit of a hothead, if we were to be honest, right? Yeah. Paul, if you read who Paul was, he was a lot like the Taliban. He, he was, this is what, and let me, let me, let me, uh, let me speak to our culture. Um, Paul is what it looks like when religious people want to run the government. It, it never works out well with any religion anywhere in the world. When people claim that God has empowered them to run other people's lives, bad things happen. I'm going to say it one more time. When people declare that God has given them power to run other people's lives, bad things happen. History has proven this from Constantine to Kim Jong-il. It's, it's the same spirit. I am the one anointed by God to run your life. And nobody is anointed to run your life but you. We need wise people who hear God in leadership everywhere. We like that we would be better, right? We would, we, like the world would be better if people heard God and did their jobs well. But I'll settle for do your job well. Like I'm, I'll settle for a competent doctor over a tongue-talking non-doctor. I, I, I don't want a doctor hovering over me saying, you know, God has really anointed me to determine whether you live or die. No, 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 no. I want a doctor who just says, it's your job to make me live. Right? That, that's what I want. Just live is your mandate. That's, that's, that's your job. Stick with that. And so Paul was this religious guy who decided that it was his job to protect God in government. And so his protection of God in government meant he needed to kill people who opposed God. Come on, y'all ain't talking to me right now. This is who Paul was. Paul went about after he saw um, the, 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 uh, the, the murder of Stephen, and he decided he was going to take it upon himself to get letters from the government, and he would, he, would, he would kill people who were not worshiping God the way he thought God was supposed to be worshiped. And not for nothing, he was wrong. He was wrong about how God was supposed to be worshiped. And so Paul was Saul at that point, and he was going about, and he was doing what he thought God wanted him to be doing by hurting other people, and he had this divine encounter with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God wrecked his life. Wrecked his life. He got saved, radically converted. And, and the Bible tells us some funny things about Paul after he got converted. The first prophetic word after God spoke to him sovereignly by the voice of God. You remember the first prophetic word he got from, from God? God came, sent Ananias to lay hands on him that he would receive his sight and learn all that he must suffer for the gospel. How about that for the first prophecy over your life? We don't hear that much today, do we? Like, you don't hear that at all today. As a matter of fact, in prophetic teachings, they're told you not to give those words. When we see the very first prophetic word after the book of Acts, directly, Jesus tell him to do this, is a word of warning about suffering. I'm telling you, church, we are here to reform some things in Christianity. Amen? We're going to get Christianity back on tracks. We're going to fix some things that are off in the charismatic world. We're going to stick to what the Bible says and get some people operating under the real spirit of God, not the spirit of mammon. Amen? We're going to let Jesus be king. There's too many. Listen, here's why. Too many of you have gone through trials that God has orchestrated to make you stronger and that you got beat up by the devil thinking that you did something wrong. You've had to suffer for the name of Jesus. And all you've gotten is condemnation. When Jesus was like, I am perfecting you in this suffering. I know believers who come to me, they're like, oh, I heard if you're a prophet, you're going to, you know, life's going to be terrible. Well, if you're going to live in situations that don't let you be prophetic, yeah. Life's going to be terrible. But if you're around some people who know the Bible, then you will bring clarity to the suffering. Yeah. 
You will bring purpose to the struggle. You will bring revelation to the darkness. You'll actually reveal the true character of God. Listen, listen friends, I, I've seen too many people who poured their lives into churches that promised them things that God would not deliver. And my heart is broken for these people. That's a good word, Pastor. I'm going to keep preaching it, and we're going to live it. Amen? Amen. Tell him what he must suffer for the sake of the gospel. And so what's funny is the next thing we find out about Paul, he receives his sight, he hangs out a little bit, and then he becomes as militant for Jesus as he was for Judaism. And you know what happened? They wanted to kill him. Because people don't like being around people like that. You don't win people, you just annoy people, right? And so now he's out there barking at people, telling them what to do. And the Bible says they wanted to kill him, and they had to lower him from a gate. The apostle said, here's what we need to do. We're just going to send you away for a little bit, right? The Bible says they sent him away for a little bit, and then there was peace in the town. That's what the Bible says. They sent him away, and then there was peace in the town. Now, Paul was doing what he knew to do, but what he knew to do was not what Jesus had him do, right? He was still operating, trying to operate in the kingdom, but operating in the ways of the world. He didn't get caught up in the Trinity yet. He's like, oh, I'm going to take my talents. God really needs me. And God's like, no, no, no. Um, there's going to be a, a period of suffering for you, unlearning what you thought was important. And so then Paul traveled around preaching the gospel. We find out about 14 years later, he winds up in Jerusalem at the uh, Jerusalem Council, and he becomes this ambassador of grace. Something happened in that dozen years or so that the Spirit of God, as he's caught up into the Trinity, as he became lower and lower, and he allowed that suffering to perfect his faith, something happened, a humility happened in Paul, a gentleness happened in Paul. He, time and time again, the, the more you read Paul, if you read his writings in chronological order, the lower he speaks of himself. The, he starts saying, I'm the least among the apostles at the beginning. And at the end, he's like, I am complete dung. I am worthless. There's nothing good in my life. Just Jesus. He gets more humble the longer he goes. And so he uh, was in um, northern he was in the, in the northern kingdom, and uh, the, uh, northern, uh, in the Roman kingdom, and uh, they persecuted him. And so he got uh, kind of, uh, he had to run to where it's uh, southern Greece, and, and uh, he's writing. Uh, he gets into the church in Corinth, and uh, he went to Corinth, and he was so humble, he didn't know how to talk right, right? So, like, he doesn't fully deliver the message. Paul went around to all these churches saying, we need to, we need to get, I need, y'all need to give. It's important as Christians that you're givers because in Jerusalem, we got some people suffering. And so part of what you're supposed to do is give. And, uh, and I, I didn't have the boldness to tell you the first time I went there. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I, I went there and I didn't even receive an offering. I just, I worked a job. But in 2 Corinthians, he's like, yeah, I, I didn't work a job, but that, that was wrong. Like, y'all should have supported me. Like, I'm here working for the gospel. Y'all should have gathered some money and supported me, and not for nothing. You should have gave me that offering to give to Jerusalem. He's basically saying, I'm coming back for my money, right? Y'all got my money, and I'm coming back for some money. Tuck this away as a sidebar. In, in, in Christianity, there's three phases, generally. You, you come to Christ, and now you think you're everything. Then you realize, wow, you're nothing. You know, like, oh, wow. Um, 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 um. You think you're everything, right? And then you get saved, and you're like, wow, it's his grace that saved me. I really was a terrible sinner, right? So the first phase is you realize that you're a sinner, right? And then Jesus starts to teach you about who you are in Christ. And then you come to this phase where I have authority. I, I, I have victory. I, I am the word of God. I have the man of God. I am, you know, I, I, I'm created in his image. And, and, and that's a good second phase. I call that adolescence. And then there's adulthood where you're like, oh, wow, there's really nothing I can accomplish without him. Everything good in my life is him. Everything in my life is Jesus. And so as we see Paul progressing through his letters, we find by the time he gets to 2 Corinthians, he's in this kind of this, this third phase where he's like, my life? It's irrelevant. Like, if there's anything good, it's Jesus. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, verse 11, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. 
Something the church in America has no, the charismatic church has no clue of. Right? Since, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Verse 12, it's not about us. We don't, here's what he says in verse 12, it's not about us. We don't brag about the things of the world. We don't brag about the things the world brags about. You, the, the, the world is excited about great speakers and great money and great programs and, and, and flash. And, 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 and the world is excited about leadership and success. And Paul's like, I'm not excited about any of that stuff. We don't brag about any of that stuff. Verse 13. He says, if, if, if he says in verse 13, if we are out of our mind, as some say. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. This is what countercultural formation looks like. The world thinks, are you crazy you're not focusing on the things we're focusing on? Are you crazy that you're not caught up in the things that we're caught up in? Are you crazy that you're not idolizing the things that we idolize? Are you crazy? He says, I know we look crazy. But, but I'm willing to take that risk because what the message I have is so important, I'm willing to look foolish so this message is bright. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I, I, this brilliant man who had the Torah memorized, who persecuted the church, who, who, who was the chief among all the people who everybody wanted to be like, is like now on the back side of his life saying, look, I, 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 if you think I'm nothing, that makes me super happy because my entire life is being devoted to not, not me looking good. All of my creativity, all of my mental acuity, all of my mental abilities, all of my strategic thinking, all of my persuasive rhetoric is directed toward Jesus. And if anything in my life is bright, I want it to be Jesus. Verse 17, he goes on to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, I thought it was somebody. Then I found the true power. And God empowered me to be his Holy Ghost extension cord. And I'm just like the wall outlet. I'm, I'm, I'm just like the one who holds the extension cord. It's, my role is, is irrelevant. But if I can get you to love this extension cord that connects you to heaven, if, if, if you get connected to that thing, then what I'm connected to is happy and I'm happy. You, you, you aren't my source. You aren't my fulfillment. Your adulation, the praise that you have for me, that does nothing for me because I've received praise and love from God. And that is so fulfilling. I, I, I will completely disregard what you think about me to make him happy with me because that is what fulfills me. And so now the Lord has given me this gift. And God has given Paul this gift. He's given me the same gift. And he's offering this same gift to you. You get the opportunity to connect people to God. He calls this the ministry of reconciliation or reconnecting. He's offered you this ministry of getting people caught up in God's story. By you telling a story, by you telling your story, by you telling the God story, you are empowered to get people caught up in that same story. And since you are involved intimately in the triune Godhead, when that person gets caught up in God's story, you get to get caught up in the praise and joy 
of God and you get to be fed and energized by God's hallelujah as that person gets connected to God and you're like, whatever this person could have given me pales in comparison to what I'm now receiving from my Father. Can you say amen? This is the gift God is offering you today. It's an awesome gift that was not given to people before us. God made him, verse 21, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If I could have the worship team come. He said, I will be a fool for Christ on your behalf. I am more than happy to look foolish so that God can be praised. We have encounters with God. We're transformed through countercultural spiritual formation so we can be a witness to this world that our God is alive. The key is that we stay connected to God. God said it in John chapter 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're burned. I'm ready to see some people reignited for Jesus. Amen? Amen? We're going to sing, Worthy is your name, Jesus. We're going to sing that Jesus' name is worthy. Stand with me if you would. And we are going to commit our lives to bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you deserve the praise. And we're going to be cognizant Worthy is your of His name. promise Worthy is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit Jesus, comes on you. And you will be you my witness. Worthy is your name. Come on. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name, Jesus. Worthy, Lord Jesus. You deserve the praise. Catch us up into your story. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would hover over this place, that you would hover over our hearts, that you would hover over our lives, Lord. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus. That we would be sensitive to your leading this week. You would make us sensitive to where you're moving. 
We declare right now, pray with me, we declare that you are worthy of praise and you are worthy of honor. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, every person right now is going through a struggle, who's going through hard times, who's in that valley, who's being forged by the fire. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would see you moving. They would see you drawing. They would see you there walking with them. I pray in the name of Jesus that we would feel compelled to share our story. That we would feel compelled to share our story with the world. That they would see this God of heaven is alive and moving on our behalves. I pray in the name of Jesus this week that you would give us opportunities to invite people into that story so that we can hear the, oh, there's the Holy Ghost, that we can hear the applause of heaven. Oh, Holy Spirit of God. Oh, there we go. Holy Spirit of God, I declare freedom in this room. I declare deliverance in this room. I declare your life and your love upon those. That they would feel confident within your grasp. Now let me bless you before we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Give a clap offer to the Lord if you would. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you and have an amazing week. Give it up one time for the worship team if you would.